Let's uh, see what our fortunes are. So I have a ritual, mm -hmm. which is I, I break it if it, mine was already broken this time. I eat the first half, then pull out the sticker or the okay. paper, read it, and then eat the second half. All right. I'm going to eat a half of this fortune cookie to see if I like fortune cookies again. I'm guessing you don't. I'm, I probably don't, but it's been a while. How do you feel about fortune cookies? Yep, that doesn't taste good. Okay. Yeah. To be fair, I also like the flavor of communion wafers. Uh, I don't know if I've had a communion wafer, communion wafer. No. Normally, my communion bread is bread no. or like matzo cracker. We do a King's Hawaiian at my parents' church. Mm. I do like a matzo cracker. Yeah. Communion wafers taste like wide and flat Rice Krispies that aren't crispy. <laughs> That sounds good. I like it. All right, cool. All right, what you got? For light, go directly to the source of the light, not any reflections. Ooh. Uh, mine is, mine feels like a personal attack. <laughs> good writing is clear thinking made visible. In my pants. <laughs> this is something I've been thinking about because writing is something that I desire to do and uh am and i believe i'm bad at it and is very difficult because i struggle to take thoughts and put them into words in text so this fortune cookie is uh not welcome <laughs> i know thank you i'm bad at that what's on the other side what do they lucky do? numbers lucky plus secondfortune.com ooh second fortune <laughs> I think right when we started recording, you said that you were going to wait until we started recording to tell me something. I did. And I'm not sure we talked about it. We didn't. we talked about like electricity and food yeah. and stuff. A couple days ago, I finally finished the second season of Hannibal. Nice. <laughs> oh, that's good. I was like, I'm going to tell Jesse about this. Okay, tell me about it. Uh, I mean, well, so it's interesting. The second season is interesting for a number of reasons. Oh, it ends very dramatically. Yes. Yeah. Well, so, but they they... Like the first moments of the first season of Hannibal are the fight. The first moments of the second season of Hannibal yes. are yeah, it's the it's what happens in the final episode. Yes. Mm -hmm. And and really in the final like 15 minutes. Yeah, spoilers for Hannibal. Spoilers for the second season of Hannibal. I still haven't seen the third season. I watched the first episode of the third season, okay. which had like nobody but Hannibal and uh, Gillian Anderson. Mm. Yeah. Oh, she's wonderful. You should watch X-Files. Uh, maybe I will. Yeah. Yeah. Also, uh, The Simpsons. I want to find you an episode of The Simpsons to watch. I still want to do that. Oh, okay. Uh, to the point, so I started reading a book. We'll get back to my Hannibal story in a sec. <laughs> um, I started reading a book uh, today, actually, called TV the Book, which is um, a book about the 100 greatest TV shows uh, put together by two critics, Alan Sepinwall and Matt Stoller-Zeitz. Are they ranked? Yes. Okay. They are ranked. Um, and they, they actually, the first... You know, a couple your first chapter or so is sort of their methodology. Uh, there's an introduction. There's like, this is how we decided. Here's the six things we ranked every show on. Um, we set some rules like U.S. only. The show has to be completed with with a couple exceptions. Um, we're using narrative TV. Like we're not talking about reality shows. We're not talking about children's TV. We're not talking about talk shows. Like all the all the other TV that's out there. Okay. We're just looking at like narrative television in the U.S. Um, and, it, and it's by two critics, one of whom I read pretty regularly anyway, which is Alan Sepinwall. I've read his stuff for years. Um, and then Matt Stoller's Eyes, who I didn't know. But they apparently both worked together on the same paper in New Jersey like 
two decades ago, like when The Sopranos started. They worked for the paper that Tony Soprano got, like... <laughs> the uh, in-universe yeah, paper. That's yeah, funny. Um, that he like showed up at his doorstep was the paper they worked for when The Sopranos started. But... And so they, there's six different metrics they use. I don't remember all of them, but like um, originality, you know, uh, legacy, like how much did stuff steal from this? Um, the peak, you know, how what was their, their best moments like? Mm-hmm. Consistency, you know, what how good was it over the run? Things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and they rank each of those on a scale of one to ten and six things for their combined score of 120 possible points for any given TV show. And so they did that for hundreds of TV shows, and this is the top 100 that they ended up with. And they ranked everything, and they got a five-way tie for first place. Wow, really? Yeah. Five shows got 112 points out of 120. And so the first chapter of the book is literally a transcript of their G-Chat conversation trying to decide how to rank those five. (laughs) And, like, why they should put what, where, and how it does. Because the top five they ended up with were uh, Breaking Bad, The Sopranos, Cheers, The Simpsons, and oh, The Wire, of course. Um, and they kind of talk about it, and then they go back and forth, like you know, okay, well, you know, you've kind of got they kind of like treat eventually treat Sopranos and The Wire as kind of like one spot, like they're effectively tied with each other, and we'll maybe figure out which one goes above the other, but we'll figure that out later. And they say Cheers is probably not the best show of all time. Uh, like it's it's an amazing sitcom and it's the pinnacle of sitcom and that's particularly multi-cameras format but it's probably not the best show of all time like I wouldn't put it up against Breaking Bad yeah like a Breaking Bad is probably not as good like they would say like I like it more than The Sopranos but it is not as good as The Sopranos like it didn't it wasn't as creatively you know original it's highs weren't as high uh, things like that uh, they break it down and they end up deciding that The Simpsons is the answer the, the number greatest, one. The number one show. Wow. It's not a spoiler. The first chapter of the book is the wrestling on The Simpsons. They go from one to 100, not 100 to one. <laughs> Start with the best and work down. Um, and I was thinking about it, and I'm like, because it's made me think about the fact that you haven't watched The Simpsons. Yeah. Like, you have never seen an episode of The Simpsons. I've never, yeah, I've never seen a complete episode yeah, of The you've, Simpsons. You have absorbed some of The Simpsons by living in America in the <laughs> current century. Right. Uh, because it is such an important cultural milestone. I'm I'm sure if I watched The Simpsons through, there would be hundreds of things. I'd be like, oh my God, that's The Simpsons? Yes. Yeah. Um, the, the most well-known one that, that I use the most is I, for one, welcome our new blank overlords. Oh, that's The Simpsons? That's The Simpsons. Hmm. Um, and so in their Simpsons essay, they talk about like how The Simpsons has become part of our cultural dialogue. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, your ideas are intriguing and I would like to subscribe to your newsletter. <laughs> that's The Simpsons. Like all of these sort of quotes that have become a part of our lexicon. Yeah. Um, that it's transcended just being a TV show. Um, Alan Sepinwall, the author, uh, one of the two authors of this book, has a weekly or semi-weekly uh, video show he does called Ask Alan where people send him in questions about TV. And so I sent him a question and said, I've got a friend... Uh, who has never seen an episode of The Simpsons. Uh, and if you had to pick one to show him, what would you pick? And so I'm going to see if he responds. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah. I, okay, if that happens, I will watch that episode. Okay. Where does one watch The Simpsons? Uh, I mean, the if you have a subscription to FXX, you can get the app and watch every Simpsons ever. Okay. Um, if you don't have that, uh, I have the DVDs of the first like eight seasons. That's not helpful to me. I have a DVD player, too. Because <laughs> you're not going to watch an episode of The Simpsons without me being in the room. Oh, okay. Yeah, we'll watch like, it that's together. that's going to happen. Okay. Okay. 
that will be a prepared episode of Unprepared. <laughs> I will bring a DVD player over and we will plug it into your TV. Okay, awesome. Um, how does this relate to Hannibal? It doesn't. It was just a thing I was thinking about. Just TV. Yeah. Cool. Because I want you to watch one episode of The Simpsons. <laughs> I felt this way about uh, like Seinfeld until... Until you watched all of Seinfeld? It was like a, like two years ago or something yeah. when like it became available on Hulu and I was like, all right, I'll watch all of Seinfeld. Yeah. Because it's a enormously like culturally significant Absolutely, show yeah. that everyone has seen mm-hmm. except me for some reason because I just happened to avoid it somehow. Yeah. And I watched it all and it's... It's good. It's so good. Like, yeah. Seinfeld's a Absolutely. really good show. <laughs> and like, I'm sure The Simpsons is really good. Mm-hmm. Just uh, somehow avoided it. Yeah, it's interesting. There's a lot of people who who argue that like, oh, The Simpsons peaked after season nine or season 12 or whatever. Mm-hmm. And there was an argument made by a critic. I want to say Todd Vanderwerf, but I don't know that for sure. Mm-hmm. One of the critics I read that for most shows, when there's bad seasons of the show and, and how you know it was actually a bad show the whole time is when the later seasons make the earlier seasons retroactively bad. Mm. Where you, like the, the later seasons of 24, for example. I don't know if you've watched 24. I saw one season of it. I don't remember The first one. two or three seasons of 24 are pretty good. They're, they're pretty solid, well-made TV. And they're very, you know, interesting. Yeah. The later seasons of the 24 show all of the bad things that existed in the first few seasons. We just didn't realize it. We were overlooking it. Yeah. Um, and you go, oh, no, this is what they were trying to do the whole time. It wasn't a mistake that we overlooked. It was an actual core problem in the show. Mm, yeah. Um, and a lot of TV shows do that. And you go, oh, maybe this wasn't a good show after all. Um, like, in the same way, I kind of mentioned that the fourth season of Arrested Development made me see the first three seasons in a worse light. Uh-huh. Yeah. That same idea. It's like, oh, maybe these weren't perfect after all. Yeah, I can totally see that. He was saying that even all of the later seasons, because we're getting... You know, Simpsons started... 20s, right? The nine, the year you were born, The Simpsons started. 89? Yeah. Yeah. So you and Bart Simpson are the same age. So we're getting close to 30 years of Simpsons. That's incredible. Yeah. Uh, and I think we've it's been renewed through its 30th season, at least. Like, we're going to get 30 years of wow. The Simpsons. And nothing in those later episodes of The Simpsons makes the best years of The Simpsons worse. Like they don't, they're not necessarily as good, but they don't spoil anything. They don't, they don't make you go, oh no, this show actually was bad the whole time. And there's a lot of them that are still pretty good. Like there's one this year that came out where the Simpsons moved to Boston. That was an amazing episode, um, which if you watch a second episode of the Simpsons, we'll watch that one. <laughs> I think that's what got me into you. Like making you watch an episode of the Simpsons was that particular episode. Cause like, Jesse's from Boston. Cause that, yeah, I would specifically relate to that. Yeah. With that many seasons, you can not only have like a bad season, you can have like a bad era of The mm-hmm. Simpsons and have it be like, oh, it's still a pretty good show overall. Yeah. There's shows where like a bad season destroys a show just mm-hmm. because some shows have like three seasons. Yeah. Whereas like you could have a, you know, oh, The Simpsons for the last five years hasn't been that good, but it's still the best show ever. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's kind of what, what these guys kind of ended up at with their book. They're like, it's still the best show ever. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of amazing. Um, well, and you, you also think like people will talk about like the best years of The Simpsons being like seasons three through 11. <laughs> Shows would be lucky to get that many seasons at all. And that's yeah. just like a third of their and that's, run. And that's the peak Simpsons. Yeah. Is nine years of amazing television. Yeah. That's so silly. <laughs> What's the current longest running sitcom? I think it's It's Always Sunny. Well, we have this discussion about what longest running means. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we did talk about this a long yeah. time ago. Well, 
Uh, Always Sunny is hitting 12 seasons. Yeah. Um, which is, I think we said the longest number of seasons. Other mm-hmm. shows have had more episodes. Right. Uh, because they do 23 episodes a season instead of 13 or whatever Sunny does. Yeah. But like, I mean, whenever It's Always Sunny gets renewed, I see lots of people talking about like what an accomplishment like this yeah, show is oh, still are, going and it's still high and quality. And people still really like it. Yeah. I've sampled it and I don't think it's for me. Uh, uh-huh. But the people who love it absolutely love it. And they say it is still good. Right. In its 12th season. But like, what's ever going to catch up to The Simpsons? You know what I mean? Like Nothing. How- Nothing will ever like. Catch I can't imagine Simpsons. anything that's on television right now getting there. Like maybe one day in the future, like something will do that. But thirty years, like, but like soap operas, last that long. <laughs> yeah, there are soap operas that have lasted less time than The Simpsons. But like, I feel like Simpsons is like running out the clock on the TV medium. You know what I mean? Like they're not giving anything else an opportunity to catch them because like TV won't be that anymore. <laughs> By the time something ha- would have had enough time to do it, yeah, you know what I mean. No, you're um, you're not gonna beat The Simpsons. I um I have the same problem with It's Always Sunny as I do with shows like um, what's the example right now? Um, is it Broad City? The show with the two girls. Mm-hmm. That is a show. It's really good, mm-hmm. and they're really funny, but it's so intense, mm-hmm. like. In, in its humor, like it's yeah. just so in your face and loud and abrasive yes, humor. That it's very like, abrasive. And like I can watch an episode and laugh, but like I just can't handle it very yeah. much. Like it's just, it's so overwhelming to yeah, me. Yeah, when I, I realized once when I was watching, I've, I've seen two or three full seasons of Always Sunny. Like I watched the first couple seasons. Yeah, same. And I realized that it was Seinfeld, but worse. Yeah, they're there's no possible redeeming qualities. Yeah, like like people were like, oh, Seinfeld is a bunch of like terrible people. And it is, but like always when he dials that up to 30. Yeah, in Seinfeld, they're still like lovable. Sometimes. In a way. Yeah. And in It's Always Sunny, they're like, these people should be arrested. And shot. <laughs> repeatedly. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. That's a good way to think about it. And that was sort of my like, oh, I get the show. Like yeah. I get it now. Yeah, and like that—that's clearly what they're going for. Yes, and they're very good at it. Yeah, they're nailing it. I just can't handle yeah, it. It's not for me. Uh, but Hannibal's really good. Yeah, I'm glad you liked. Uh, so you liked the second season? Yeah, no, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, I I had seen all but the last two episodes, so it was uh-huh. one of those like I was I need to finish the season at least. Um, and so I airplayed them over to my Apple TV from my phone because mm-hmm. you can't get the Amazon app on Apple TV because it's dumb. Yep. I want that so bad. Like, they, they said it was coming. Did they? Has that been announced? Oh, I mean like a year ago. Oh. They were like, we're working on it. And I think it was just a PR person lying. Oh, man. <laughs> Hopes raised and dashed expertly, sir. Yeah. It's a Simpsons quote. <laughs> no, sorry. That's a Futurama quote. I lied. <laughs> I lied. Another show I can't handle. I don't like Futurama. Really? Yeah. I can't stand it. I love Futurama. I like not Not in a way where I can't stand It's Always Sunny. I just think it's a bad show. Yeah. So we'll see. Futurama is very up and down. Like, there are episodes of Futurama I just don't watch anymore because they're bad. Hmm. But there are still episodes of Futurama that I love and think are amazing. Interesting. Um, and it, it is a very swingy show yeah. for me. Uh, yeah, I, I'll throw Futurama on Netflix. I own all the DVDs from the original run. Hmm. I don't have the, the, the reboot stuff, but it's still pretty good. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Hannibal. 
So you saw some, you saw some murder hugging, some serious the murders. Uh, very little hugging, mostly murders. I mean, at the very end, there's the there is yeah. like the murder hug. Yeah, at the end of the second season, but um, yeah, more murder than hugs. Yeah, and and a a very very strong ending to a season. Like I don't know if they knew that if they were coming back or not. Um, I don't think it was a guarantee. Yeah. yeah. I mean, well, it was, it was a little rated show the whole time. The fact that it got three seasons at all was amazing. Yeah. Unlike the Simpsons. <laughs> <laughs> three decades of TV. Yeah. Uh, but like a very definitive ending. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, well, it's, yeah, I don't know if definitive is the right word. Cause you don't know if any, everyone might be dead like it's a very everyone could very easily be dead right who got someone got pushed out a window that was danvers right she got pushed out a window will got his stomach slit open yeah uh jack has a has a a piece of glass in his his neck neck and he is tying his neck shut with a tie (laughs) like that's what you see him last is like him like putting a tourniquet on his neck yeah uh abigail was shot or something maybe okay it was not it was not beautiful in the way all the other murders were beautiful yeah <laughs> which is a weird <laughs> a weird thing I mean, you're used to the murders being beautiful yeah and so they they stick in your mind like freaking abigail not abigail danvers danvers is her name or my that's thing, the, the actress's, actress's name. name um i forget her character's name um like falling through the glass and the rain yeah like, in slow motion it's gorgeous like, beautiful yeah and then hannibal just walks out yeah god it's a great show. And then the second, the third season starts and you still don't know at the end of the first episode. Because it's just Hannibal it's just and... Uh, Hannibal and Gillian and, Anderson. And his lady. Hopping around Europe. Oh, and uh, Eddie Izzard in a flashback. Mm. Eating himself. Oh, that show is so brutal. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, it's it's intense. Like Hannibal, remember when we were talking about uh, Rogue One last time? Yeah, and like one of the things I loved about it so much is just the fact that it was willing to go there, yeah. and kill everybody. Like, Hannibal definitely goes there. Like that's not necessarily in the killing everybody sense, yeah. but like Hannibal, if it wants to do something, it, it does. It goes there, and it's not afraid to do it. Absolutely, it does it beautifully. And I love a show, or I love a story with guts like yeah. that. Just make a strong decision. Yeah, I am excited because I know in season three. Uh, they get to the Red Dragon story. And seeing that story with these versions of these characters would be so interesting. I'm very excited. It's very good. I'm and, excited for you to watch it. Uh, so, I, I mean, I know, because I know that happens, like, I know, okay, Hannibal's going to get caught. Mm. Because, well, I, I strongly suspect Hannibal's going to get caught at some point. Because that happens in the Red Dragon story. Because that's, you know. that's part of the Red Dragon story, mm-hmm. um, which I'm fine with, because, like, that these, these characters can't quit each other. Yeah. But. Uh, <laughs> no, they can't. And I keep tossing around the idea of a movie, man. Can you imagine remaking Silence of the Lambs with this cast? I mean, like, Anthony Hopkins' performance is considered Iconic. Like, one of the greats. Yeah. But man, I love Mads Mikkelsen. Yeah. Like, I think I like his version of the Hannibal character better than oh, Anthony yeah. Hopkins. Like, Anthony Hopkins is an iconic character and, right. and fully deserves all of the awards he got. For that version, the later Hannibal movies he's in, not as good. Yeah, I don't care about those other ones. Um, those are those are less good. Um, does the violence and the gore bother you? It doesn't in Hannibal because it is so stylized. Uh huh. Like it is, like there occasionally the murders. I go like, okay, that's too much. Like I've got to step back. Some of the um, some of the like uh, scenes, like the setup 
mm-hmm. scenes that he does. Like I remember in the first season, he, the person's back is like flayed yeah, open angel. into wings, yeah. and I remember like being very that upset one was by very that. difficult. There's a couple things like that that are really gross, but like the the action violence, like getting you know the fight between yeah. him and Jack. Like I love watching it, even though it it's, yeah, it's very, very visceral, brutal, but it's also so like stylized yeah. and it not not as to say that it's unrealistic but it is it feels unrealistic yeah. because it is too perfect and, and it appears very gorgeous on screen yeah, yeah. so yeah it doesn't that doesn't really bother me much yeah what about the um the cooking stuff it's pretty it's like i love uh have you seen I always think of uh, think of this when I think of the cooking on Hannibal. Have you seen Chef's Table on Netflix? Yeah, I hated every one of those chefs. <laughs> <laughs> they're all narcissists. Yeah, yeah, like they're all like terrible people who are good at cooking. Yeah, but I love watching it. Yeah, um, I love like I don't watch it for the the people. The yeah, the expose of the people. I, yeah, I like it's I just watch them cook the it's, food. It's beautiful. The, yeah. the way they shoot the food and the way they shoot it being cooked. Like it's just a gorgeous thing to watch. Yeah. And that's what Hannibal reminds me of. And yeah. then I'm like, Oh wait, that's people. <laughs> Sometimes you don't always know. Sometimes you don't always know when it's people, but like, it's like, I would, I would watch Mads Mikkelsen <laughs> like cook delicate Cooking things show. in the, in the kitchen <laughs> all day long. <laughs> I'm sure that would be a very like erotic thing for some people, but I get v- just complete like esoteric joy out of yeah. watching beautiful cooking. Makes you hungry. Yeah. I've also started watching uh, the Fargo series. Do you like it? Yeah, I do. It's good. I watched the first episode of it when it came out because it was like a big deal when it came yeah. out. Yeah. And I'm a huge fan of the Fargo movie mm-hmm. and Coen Brothers in general. Yeah. Um. And I watched that episode and it seemed so goofy to me. That's interesting. Like it was just very like weird and silly. See, I thought they nailed the tone. And like, like I, it felt like the Fargo movie to me. It didn't feel like that to me. And it, it just it felt real, really weird. And I didn't like it. But I've heard that it's an incredible show. Like if you actually like stick it through. Uh, especially in like season two that it's just like an amazing yeah. show yeah maybe i'll give it a chance sometime but it it just struck the wrong chord with me when that's I watched weird because that I, I also really love fargo the movie mm-hmm. it might be my favorite coen brothers movie yeah yeah oh man there's too many that's a hard that's a hard choice it's my go-to coen brothers movie okay like it's i think it's the most coen brothersy movie of coen brothers movies like that speaks to Coen Brothers to me in a way that more so than every other movie that I've seen of theirs. Okay. I've not seen all of theirs. Yeah. But I'm the kind of guy who like I never got Big Lebowski. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I love the Big I, Lebowski. I like it. It's okay. But I, I it never clicked with me in the way it seems to have clicked with a lot of other people. Yeah. And it it's that kind of movie. Like it has to click with you or it's just too weird. Yeah. Um but Fargo is uh Trebian. <laughs> Because I, I'd put it above No Country, I'd put it above A Brother Where Art Thou, and I love those movies. Mm-hmm. But I would, I would say Fargo is is better than those. Yeah, maybe. I um, I watched Burn After Reading recently. Burn After Reading is fun. Which is, it's, it's weird. It their their movies get really weird when they go more into the comedy yeah. side. Oh yeah. Um, but like it's. It's really funny yes. at some points. Like it's it's incredibly funny at some points. Yes. But it's again like infused with all the like really dark disturbing yeah. Coen Brothers stuff. Well, there was an interesting uh, video essay about 
Burn After Reading I saw. But everybody in that movie is stupid, but in different ways. Hmm. Um, and it's a really fascinating exploration of sort of how their different stupidities show up. Yeah, no one express themselves. No one in that movie is capable of making good decisions. No, they all make bad decisions. Yes. Um, I'm bringing up a list of Coen movies. movies to see if I can pick out. Uh, my favorite I one. mean, man, Blood Simple is great still. Like that, that one holds up real well. So I haven't seen Blood Simple. Raising Arizona or Miller's Crossing? I haven't seen Miller's Crossing. I have seen Raising, Raising Arizona is pretty funny. Yeah, I've heard it's really good. Or Hudsucker Proxy. Man, Hudsucker Proxy is good. I would not. I would not say it is Fargo good. You probably wouldn't even think it's Big Lebowski good. <laughs> uh, but it's it's. Uh, you ever heard the phrase? You know, for kids. Yeah. Hudsucker Proxy. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, have you seen Barton Fink? Yes. I loved Barton Fink. I, I don't know that I did. Like, Really? I, Barton Fink was on the weirder side of Coen Brothers. Yeah, yeah. I, I just loved how bizarre it was. It was very bizarre. Oh, Brothers, great. And I haven't seen Intolerable Cruelty. I haven't either, actually. That was that was considered a lesser Coen Brothers, along with uh, the... Lady Killers. Lady Killers. Yeah. And then No Country. Yeah. Burn After Reading. True Grit was like seemed very good and important when it came out and i've kind of forgotten about it yeah i kind of feel the same way like i, I liked it when i watched it but yeah it didn't, it didn't have the didn't same stick power with like me. i think about fargo and i think about no country i also haven't seen a serious man that movie looks so depressing that i i have to like i i haven't psyched myself into watching it yet a serious man might be my favorite one really yeah okay it's very depressing i'm sure um the trailer for that made me depressed yeah the 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 beat of his head getting slammed against the wall yeah um sorry if you have to edit that out <laughs> it's really good uh mm -hmm. it all it also has all the like religious background yes. to it which is which is just always my thing yeah so that that helps me too uh, I haven't seen Inside Lewin Davis, which I really want to see. Man, that's funny. That's like my uh, I your was other favorite like, movie, <laughs> a, a Serious Man or Inside Lewin Davis. Inside Lewin Davis is, I think it's like their most perfect one. That's interesting. Like it's just I can't find anything wrong with it. Yeah. Um, I just think a Serious Man is funnier. <laughs> it's funnier, really. Like it's it's funny in the like in the sad horrible sort of Coen way. Brothers kind of yeah funny. yeah. Um, and then I haven't seen Hail Caesar, which is their most recent one. Hail Caesar did not look good to me. It, which is why I haven't seen it. I've yeah. heard really mixed things. Some people are like, oh, it's, you know, it's a Coen Brothers movie, but it's a lesser Coen Brothers movie. Yeah. And some people are like, in 10 years, this is going to be the Coen Brothers movie everyone thinks is a masterpiece. Really? Yeah. Uh, yeah, that one that one put me off a little bit. Like, I don't know what the trailers or what just did not make me interested in seeing that film. It seems very silly. Yeah. And I, and I don't like the Coen Brothers being silly. I like them. I mean, I like Blood Simple, which is... Is that silly? No. Oh, that's my point. Okay. Is like that's <clears throat> like Coen Brothers movies have dumb people doing dumb things. Like that's mm -hmm. that is the Coen Brothers in a nutshell. <laughs> yeah. Like is. that's every Coen Brothers movie. Uh -huh. That's why there's literally a role playing game called Fiasco mm -hmm. based on that sort of oeuvre of film. Right. Uh, which you can listen to my podcast of if you go to catastrophic.horse. <laughs> I haven't updated since like April, but who cares? But when they when they steer funnier, it's not as funny as when they steer serious. Yeah. 
like Fargo, I think is a funnier movie than Big Lebowski. Because the, the things that are happening are incredibly serious. Yeah. And Big Lebowski, everything that's happening is very silly. Yes. And I, like, I think it works personally, but I can see what you mean. Like the, the comedy hits better when it, the contrast is there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, or, you know, the, the funny moments in Blood Symbol doesn't have any funny moments. Blood Symbol is just bleak. (laughs) (laughs) I think No Country is like that too. Yeah. No Country has some moments like that. There's, I can't think of anything funny in No Country. And no, I think No Country is considered their like. Oh, No Country is one of the one the Oscars for. Yeah. And I think for that reason, it has like the reputation as being like. They won Best Picture. It's like their masterpiece. Yeah. Um, and I, I still think I think Fargo of the again of what I've seen I would say Fargo is their masterpiece. Yeah, and I would I might say that too because I don't I don't think a serious man or Inside Lewin Davis can be like more of a masterpiece than like No Country or Fargo yeah. could. I just like them more. That's fair. Yeah, but uh, what I mean what I liked about Fargo the TV series going back to that is um, how it echoes the movie and does not mimic the movie. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, for example, they made a TV show of From Dusk Till Dawn. I don't know. If, have you ever seen From Dusk Till Dawn? No. Do you know anything about it From Dusk Till Dawn? I don't think so. I kind of want to just make you watch From Dusk Till Dawn. <laughs> um, Add it to the list. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to spoil the best part about it. Okay. Um, it's still a good movie and worth seeing. Um, but From Dusk Till Dawn starts out as a heist slash road movie. Okay. Um, there's a couple of criminals and they're on the run and they go to a gas station and they, they kill some people and then they're more on the run. Um, and they're going to go meet their contact at this, uh, this bar strip club, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then like middle of the movie, it turns out that strip club bar, whatever is also a haven for vampires. Oh, that's quite the turn. And the second half of the movie is people like fighting vampires and trying to survive until morning. Huh. Yeah. And it's and it's a very like uh it's a Robert Rodriguez film and is and very much fits his canon and his sort of style. Uh-huh. But has this very sharp heart is it Rodriguez? It may be Tarantino. I don't know now. Tarantino's in it. He's an actor in it and he's bad. Oh, really? He's a bad actor. He's a bad actor. He's one of the main characters. <laughs> and he's a bad actor. I don't like Tarantino in general. Yeah, I don't really either. <clears throat> uh, but he's a bad actor. Yeah, he is. But also George Clooney's in it and he's a good actor. He's very handsome. That too. <laughs> and and it's it's just such this hard pivot. Yeah in the middle of the film uh-huh. that it's kind of iconic for that and for becoming a different movie halfway through. I, that appeals to me so much. Yeah. And like, I, I've always thought about store like movies like that, where you can be like a co- comedy for an hour and then like just something random out of the blue happens. And then now you're a horror movie. And like you're a different movie. Yeah. Now. I think that's such a fascinating mechanic. Well, so from dusk till dawn got made into a TV series. Okay. Uh, kind of like Vargo. Uh, it's on Netflix and you can watch it. And it, like, I made it, I think, two episodes in because I kept falling asleep while watching it. (laughs) Really? Yeah. Because it just felt like that movie stretched out over 10 episodes. 
And so like the first episode is like the scene at the gas station. And it really just mimics that and expands on it and plays every single moment hmm. over a longer period of time. And it may get better. I don't know, but I, w- I was falling asleep. And when I, the first two times I tried to watch it. So do you think like halfway through the season, there was some big twist and it became a different kind of show. And, and like, were you hoping for a show where every episode there was some kind of turn like that? Well, no, but I would, I would hope for a show that took sort of the ethos of from dusk till dawn, mm-hmm. which is sort of being unexpected or this sort of mix of the mundane and the spectacular or the campiness. Cause it's pretty campy in the back half and do something with that sort of with and make a TV show that feels like from dusk till yeah. dawn instead of just trying to mimic it. And I think Fargo feels like From Dusk Till Dawn. Or feels like Fargo. Fargo. <laughs> Doesn't feel like From Dusk Till Dawn. Uh, all the last 15 minutes of Fargo felt, the TV show, the first episode, felt like a pretty heavy twist. Yeah, uh-huh. Um, you go, oh, okay. And that, and that accomplished a bunch of things because it felt like okay this is the universe of fargo mm-hmm. of that sort of coen brothers film but we're not just mimicking right. the story of fargo right and and i think there's enough respect for the source material but also enough freedom to expand and not feel beholden to it right which is i think what helps it become a successful show in the eyes of many hmm. um, because there are certainly echoes of like for example marge gunderson is a character in fargo mm-hmm. and i just know that name off the top of my head because <laughs> i love that movie um and there's not that character doesn't exist in fargo the tv series mm-hmm. but there is a young female sheriff or deputy um who fills that role but is approaching it differently and okay. is is asking questions and is being smart and is kind of being shut down by those around her and is pursuing this sort of case and picking at these little holes and things, Mm -hmm. but not just doing it by trying to replicate that performance or that character. Right. And, and Martin Freeman playing, um, that guy (laughs) playing William H. Macy playing the guy that Martin Freeman always plays. Uh, no, he's playing William H. Macy. (laughs) Um, Which is difficult because I love William H. Macy. Yeah, he's very enjoyable. Yeah. Um, and I feel like, and he he's getting better, but I feel like he's definitely, like in the first episode, just kind of hitting the William H. Macy points mm-hmm. up until the end when he does the thing that kind of pivots the show. Right. Uh, but is is sort of hitting those points and and doing interesting things with it and not being the exact same character because he's he did something very different than what happened in Fargo. And right. so we have, I think, room to explore a bigger story. We have the the man in black, whatever his name is, mm-hmm. who's just sort of sowing chaos, almost in an Anton Sugar sort of way. <laughs> uh, like referencing that character, but not being directly that character. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, and so the show kind of speaks to the larger Coen brothers mythos that way. Yeah. There's a scene, I think it's in the second episode, where he goes to pick up a package at a at a post office. Mm-hmm. Um doesn't have a name on it. It's just, you know, sent to Dakota. <laughs> um and it feels very much like it could have been the scene at the gas station with uh Sugar. Yeah. In No Country. Yeah. It wasn't, but it 
it was speaking that language. Felt like it, yeah. Uh, so I'm excited to finish it and hmm. keep going. I'm realizing now, <clears throat> I think Fargo, the TV show, first premiered after I saw the first Hobbit movie. <laughs> and honestly, I think I was in such a state of like upsetness and disappointment mm-hmm. over the Hobbit movie that watching Martin Freeman in anything like wasn't possible for me. Yeah. Like I think I was like, oh, Martin Freeman's in this. And my brain was like, Hobbit was bad. Hobbit was bad. Hobbit was bad. And like it prevented me from enjoying it the way I could have. That's interesting. I, I think that had an outsized influence on my opinion. So maybe one day huh. if I give it another shot. Yeah. I will uh, enjoy it. You watch Sherlock? I did watch Sherlock. Uh, I think I saw like seasons one and two or something. Those are the good seasons. Yeah, I heard it wasn't really worth it afterwards. I started season three, got mad and quit. Because he dies at the end of season two or like he. Yeah. And he like miraculously comes back to life or something, which. And the entire first episode of season three is about making fun of people's theories about how he survived. Oh, I did watch that. And I got mad and I didn't watch anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I don't like when a show. I don't know if a show makes fun of its audience. <laughs> yeah. Or like. It, it lies to you. Like, yeah. You, like you watch him jump to his death at the end of season two. And then it comes up with a bunch of really preposterous, barely believable yeah. reasons why that's not actually what happened. Yeah. Uh, that reminds me of. You ever see Misery? I haven't actually. That's uh Kathy Bates. Kathy famous Bates role, premiere right? role. Oh, beautiful film. Yeah. Like I I still shudder when I think about certain scenes in that. It was <laughs> really? So good. That impactful. Yeah. Um but there's a scene in it when she's she's got the author who's also a famous actor, James Conn. James Conn is the author. Um and she's got him held captive like mm-hmm. basically like she's pretending to take care of him but it's more than that and um and she's forcing him to rewrite or to write a sequel to um his romance series mm-hmm. starring the character misery that's where the name of the, the thing comes from mm-hmm. also the fact that he's miserable but <laughs> um and she and this is straight out of the book which i've also read uh, she tells a story about because she, she rejects his first chapter. She says, I'm sorry, you're going to have to rewrite this. This doesn't work. Um, and he's like, well, well, no, it's my book. I can do whatever I want. And she's like, no, she died. Like, she was buried at the end of the last book. You have to deal with that. Mm. And he's like, well, you know, what if it wasn't like that? And she's like, no, you have to stick to the cock story. She uses the phrase cock which is funny. <laughs> um, and she tells a story about going to see serials as a kid in the movies. Uh, when they would have like weekly serials, you'd go see a 10 minute movie. Yeah. There's always a cliffhanger. Um, and there was a, fam- a one she was talking about. It was real or not. I don't know. Um, but the, the hero was tied up in a car and the car went over a cliff and it exploded. And she went back the next week and she was so excited. Like what was going to happen? Like that was amazing. Right. And then it showed actually he ducked out, he jumped out of the car at the last second and was fine before it rolled off the hill. And she goes, but that's not what happened. Like they lied, they tricked me. Mm-hmm. They lied to me. Yeah, that's exactly that's what not that is. what happened, and that's what Sherlock did. Yeah, and so I'm going to capture uh, the guy who made Sherlock and <laughs> cut off his feet, <laughs> Stephen Moffat. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to cut off Stephen Moffat's feet and make him rewrite Sherlock. He probably deserves it, but you can't lie to your audience, Sherlock. Yeah, it's just a bad move. Like I don't, 
it's so blatantly the writer like it's not being clever right it's it's not being clever and it it always seems like the writers get bold yeah and they want to do something extreme Mm -hmm. and so they write sherlock jumping to his death at the end of season two yeah and then a bunch of people you know like calm down from their excitement or their managers go let's talk about this yeah and then everyone walks it back and they go okay 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 fine like we'll make it a little less extreme like it just seems like you're you're betraying your bravery Mm -hmm. by like wimping out later and it's no one no one likes that like it doesn't feel good it feels like you're being cheated you want to even if you were a fan who was very upset that Sherlock died. Well, see, I like, even knew Sherlock wasn't going to die. Well, of course he wasn't going to die, but like yeah. It's like even if even if you say like, "Oh, I want Sherlock to come back to life." It doesn't feel good when he does. Not if it's done in a cheating way. Where if I can look back at it and go, "Oh, that makes sense." Mm-hmm. Based on the information I had, that makes sense. Right. I go, "Okay, sure." But when it is a trick, when it is a cheat, right? Not cool with it. Have you ever done a trampoline thing? No, because those will kill you. Oh, really? Yeah. How? Like you'll go to a trampoline gym and die. <laughs> oh, does that happen to people? Yeah, I talked to someone who worked at one once. And did they watch a person die? People get seriously injured all the time. I mean. Uh, now that I'm thinking about it, I'm imagining some broken necks. Yeah. Yeah. People get seriously injured all the time. You've probably got to sign a form before you do that. Oh, absolutely. Are they more dangerous than like, um, like a climbing gym where danger is probably, I would say probably because climbing gyms have a ton of safety equipment. Yeah. Trampoline gyms. You're just kind of flying up into the air. Yeah. Falling down. Yeah. Did you ever have a trampoline as a child? No. Was it because it was too dangerous? No. Although I did know a kid in preschool uh, who only had one leg and he claimed it was because of a trampoline and I believe him still to this day. <laughs> he had a fake leg from like the knee down. Oh, nice. You don't think it was maybe just like a, that's how he was born and he came up with a cool story? That's also entirely possible. Yeah. This was a long time ago <laughs> and I don't remember things very well. I bet his parents. I, I think it was post preschool, but like daycare. Here's my guess. Yeah. His parents, you're a kid, you don't, if you have just always not had uh, half a leg, Mm -hmm. you don't remember what happened. Yeah. Right? That's true. So he was probably born that way. And his parents just told him, this is from, because you were bouncing around on a trampoline when you were two. That way they never had to buy him a trampoline. And they never had to buy him a trampoline. And he had a cool story. All the neighborhood parents were in on it. (laughs) So they never had to buy their kids trampolines either. took me down the street. They're never getting trampoline because, hey, you know, look at him. He's missing his leg. That's fair. I mean, trampolines are, are dangerous. Though. They're very bad. I had a, um, ooh, I did a real dumb thing one time. Uh, Was it get on a trampoline? I have gotten on trampolines before, yeah. Um, I I don't know what these are useful for now that I'm thinking about it, but I had a tiny trampoline. like one Little of those, exercise ones. Yeah, yeah. It's for exercise? Yes. Was that an exercise fad? Yes. Jumping on trampolines? One of those was in my house at one point in time. I mean, they're a blast. Yeah, one of these, like, it's... Uh, yeah, you know, it's like six, inches, six, eight inches off the floor. Yeah, and, like four-foot diameter, yeah. maybe, circle trampoline. Yeah, those were exercise devices. I had one of those uh, and used to use it to uh, practice my dunking skills on my driveway. That makes sense. Basketball hoop. Um, and I 
once tried to dunk a basketball off the trampoline while also uh, on a pogo stick. (laughs) (laughs) Could you pogo? Oh, I could pogo, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I had I had the pogo stick, um, bouncing on my pogo stick, right? So you're gonna jump onto the trampoline. One, I'm one one handing the pogo stick. Yeah, with basketball. And I've got the basketball on the other hand, and I'm I'm pogoing, get make sure my balance is good. Yeah, you I get a good steady and pogo. I, I approach the trampoline. Yeah, and I give it a good bounce. Yeah, to get up onto the, on trampoline, the trampoline. In my expectation. Is that you will then bounce again. Is that I'm going to get that kind of like trampoline double bounce effect. Because yeah. I got two bouncy things. You got two bounces. And I'm going to launch into the air. That'll be beautiful. And I'm going to dunk the fuck out of that basketball. It'll be the dunkest. It'll be the dunkest. And uh, what actually happens is the pogo stick goes straight through the trampoline. And it hits the ground. And, and uh, it gets stuck. And they get stuck and I fall. Yeah. That makes more sense. I didn't lose a leg though. That's good. I'm glad you didn't lose a leg. <laughs> not that not having a leg is not a bad thing. Uh, I don't want to no, speak ill of, but, uh, of the differently abled. But, but losing a leg from a trampoline accident would have been a difficult and, and painful thing. Yes. The actual act of losing a leg yeah, would, be, the act would of losing suck. It would be a very miserable experience. Yeah. Yes. Not having a leg is fine. If you don't have a leg, you're just as much of a person as yeah. I am. Maybe more so. Probably, honestly. <laughs> Although that's getting into the um, the hero. Com- Do you watch Speechless? No. Speechless is an amazing show. It's okay. Ma- it's my favorite new comedy of the year. Okay. Uh, I'll, I'll only say that because Fresh Off the Boat came out last year or two years ago. Mm-hmm. But uh, Speechless uh, stars Minnie Driver, uh, the British actress, and some other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's about a family of five. Yeah, they got three kids. Uh, one of whom has uh severe cerebral cerebral palsy i can't say that it's a tough word cerebral palsy cerebral palsy um and is in a wheelchair is very immobile and does not speak he is Mm -hmm. nonverbal. and he's played by an actor with cerebral palsy as well what do you know which is awesome how about that? Yeah. <laughs> what a crazy idea. And and he's hilarious. I bet, on the I show. bet he's really good at portraying the thing yeah. that he has. Well, it's interesting. I read an interview with him because he actually is uh, somewhat verbal. He's playing a higher level of disability in the character he's playing as JJ. Okay. Um, and he is slightly verbal. Um, mm-hmm. And he's giving interviews. He speaks very slowly. Hmm. Um, but he did an interview with this reporter, and his mom would transcribe what he said and then email it to the reporter. Yeah. But, um, he did a, he read a, did a really interesting interview about like what it's like to play a different level of disability than what he has yeah um which is fascinating but there was a recent episode uh last week or the week before where there was an essay contest oh extra context um his aide is played by cedric yarborough i think that's the guy's name did you ever watch brooklyn not brooklyn Nine, reno 911 no okay there's a black guy on it and he's this guy. Okay. <laughs> he's a he's a very funny large black comedian. Okay. And he plays JJ's aide. Okay. Um so JJ has a board that he can uh use as a laser to point at and and his aide reads it off. Mm-hmm. Um it's a low tech version of kind of a speak computer mm-hmm. which apparently um is still in use by a lot of uh nonverbal folks because it is uh warmer than using a computer voice having someone else speak for you instead. I can see that. it's a human talking for you, and so you can build a relationship with them and things like that. Yeah. Um, 
which was in, it dealt with in this interview. And like they talked about like why JJ uses a board instead of a computer. Yeah. Things okay. like that. But um, so Cedric plays uh, Kenneth is the character's name. And there's an essay contest and JJ's brother uh, wants to enter this to win money so he can buy a hoverboard because he thinks hoverboards are cool. And he's like, this is a slam dunk because I can just say my, it's just about, it's about who's your hero. He's like, I can just say JJ's my hero and win immediately. <laughs> and JJ's like, no, I don't, I'm not your hero. I don't want you to think I'm your hero and I don't want to be disability porn for a bunch of people to make themselves feel better. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> um, and like they deal with that idea of, um, you know, using dis- disabled folks like, tragic story as like making white folks feel better about themselves or able-bodied folks feel better about themselves. Yeah. Um, and then another kid at the school who JJ doesn't know uses him for that. And he's like, my hero is JJ. He's my friend and I get to know him and he's so inspiring and always happy. And JJ gets super pissed. <laughs> that is pretty um, stupid. But the best part was when Kenneth said, Oh, it's like you're a magical Negro. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like what it's like you know the black guy in all the movies that shows up and just exists to help the white people get their job done oh my god and so he and jj further bonded over having cliches that's pretty funny it was it was yep. real good yep just like that <laughs> only exists to make other people feel better about themselves yeah because we need it yeah i'm I could really use some feeling better about myself. Yeah. Uh, and I need to exploit less privileged yeah. people than I to do and, so. And I realized, uh, not, this is not the first time I realized it, but I realized that I have definitely like had that reaction mm-hmm. to like inspiring stories about uh, like how great disabled folks are and things like that. I'm like, that's not, that's not the right way to right. tell that story. Right. Have you seen the show on Netflix called The OA? I have seen the last 10 minutes of the show on Netflix called The OA. The last 10 minutes of the last episode? Yes. Okay. Did you watch the show? I watched the first episode. Okay. Which may, I don't, maybe I've missed something, but like, that's how you watch TV shows, right? (laughs) Like, did I do it wrong or did you do it wrong? (laughs) You don't always start with the last 10 minutes of every show you watch? <laughs> um, this is going to upset you very much, but I read the last sentence of a book before I read start at the I'm beginning. I'm not surprised. <laughs> not surprised. But I've never considered doing that with a TV show. <laughs> so um, I read so, I read a, a review of it that was like, this show is bonkers. Yeah, that's why I wanted to watch it, because I heard it was bonkers. Um and and not good like bonkers and not good was okay. the reviews i read and then there was a review um again by a critic i trust and read a lot that was like this show is bad and bonkers and i'm going to tell you why massive spoilers follow <laughs> and then described like the entire arc of the show and in particular the last scene of the season okay um, and then he used animated GIFs to show what was happening in those moments. And I didn't believe it. Like, even with the animated GIFs, I was like, that can't be. Like, I, there's got to be. And so I'm like, screw it. I'm not going to watch the show. I've got too many TV shows to watch anyway. Like, missing this one isn't going to hurt. 
And so I went and scrolled to the last episodes, fast forwarded it to the last 10 minutes and watched it. And it's exactly what it was. And I was, I was like, Nope, I'm done. I'm out. Wow. This show is not for me. Wow. Now, to be fair, since then, I have talked to people who really enjoyed the show and really loved it and re- were satisfied with the ending. Uh-huh. Um, but I am not going to be one of those people. Like, there is not a show that can get to that point and then be good. Right. Like, I there's nothing you can do in the first 10 episodes to get before there. That could be enjoyable to you. That would be good enough to make that worth it. Right. Um. That's fascinating. This is just making me more excited to watch more of it. <laughs> Do so. I would love to hear your response after you finish it. Um, so, yeah, like I heard from a couple people. It started uh, like someone, one of my friends texted me and they were like, dude, check out the OA. Okay. Like, they're like, I'm not going to tell you anything. Just watch it. And then I was like, okay. Like I looked at it on Netflix. Yeah. And I was like, this looks weird. Eh, maybe. And then like tons of people I follow on Twitter were like, I'm not going to say anything. Just watch the OA. It's the craziest thing I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. And so I was like, all right, maybe I'll check it out. So I watched the first episode, I think like two nights ago or something. And the first episode's long. Yeah, it's longer. It I think they're all like about an hour or so. And this one was like an hour 20. Some of the later ones are 30 minutes. It's it's oh. a very inconsistent show. Oh, that's weird. Yeah. One of the other weird things about it. Yeah, like the, the eighth episode is like 30 minutes. Huh. Uh, so I watched the first episode and like I can definitely say like it's not it's not great television. Yeah, it's uh, it just it doesn't doesn't like hold up, doesn't like string a story together mm-hmm. all that well. But boy, is it bonkers! Like <laughs> it's really weird and bizarre. Yeah, and it's kind of doing it for me. <laughs> well, good. I hope you enjoy it. Yeah. So I think I'll like I'll slowly watch through it. Yeah, here and there. But uh, yeah. I got I I watched the last ten minutes and it it was like bad on multiple levels <laughs> <laughs> like there were multiple reasons why it was bad i mean i'm you said you read the article and saw the gifts of like what's happening and you couldn't believe it and that is very intriguing yeah. to me <laughs> like i watched them and like i and it, like they were straight out of the episode uh-huh but i was like there has like these gifts have to be like showing it weird or it has to be there's to be something else happening. Like, there's got to be a context. Like, maybe there's something orally happening that I'm missing. Uh-huh. Like, the audio is doing something that makes this make sense. No. But nope. It's just wild. It's it's worse than the animated GIFs made it seem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I... Uh... Yeah, this sounds like something I want to watch just as like a train wreck. Yeah, I showed I showed the I showed not the scene but the gifts to Amy and she was like, "No." <laughs> it's it's interesting cuz like I don't I'm not expecting to to really like the show. Yeah. But I know some people like did really love there it. There are there's some people who really really liked it. So, uh, I really liked the marketing around it. Like I got to give Netflix props, mm-hmm. uh which is they didn't tell anybody that it was coming. And they announced it was going to release one week later from their announcement that it was happening. Uh-huh. Uh, and they did it on Twitter with very weird tweets. Mm. Like, have you ever died? <laughs> and they showed like a clip of someone jumping off of a uh, bridge that was like from the show. Uh-huh. Yeah. And there was like three or four weird clips before they said like, the OA is coming. Yeah. And people were like, what's going on? And I was on Twitter when that happened. It was very fascinating. But uh, the show is not worth it to me. Yeah. So the show 
uh, because you're not ever going to watch it. Yeah. I will discuss things about the first episode. Yeah. Um, the thing I hate the most about it so mm-hmm. far, and like I don't, I don't hate it overall. It's, it's just weird enough to like keep me going. Yeah. Um, but it's doing the thing that drives me up a wall that TV shows do, which is there's a mystery mm-hmm. and a character has answers, and the other characters want the answers and they say just explain this to me and the other character says no and they go okay (laughs) like if there's some so so this person uh jumps off a bridge yes and doesn't die somehow or or maybe does die and is like and comes back to life you know what i mean um but like they have these uh, for what it's worth, nothing you can say will spoil this for me because I've read all the spoilers. So. Okay, so they they have uh they have all these scars on their back, mm-hmm. these weird designed pattern yep. scars on their back, and I don't know what they are yet. But none of the other characters of the show know what they are, and they say like you know like what are, like what are these scars? How did you get these scars? And they don't answer the question because yeah. mystery. Yeah. But then the char- but like it, it's her mom. Her mom yeah. is just like, okay, you know, I guess I'll ask later yeah. or. You know, we'll find out later. Like in real life, if there's some crazy weird mystery about a person you care about, like you get that information, like you <laughs> demand it from them. You sit, you know what I mean? Like people don't just go, uh, you know, the sh- the writers will explain that to me eventually. They get yeah. upset about it at least. You know what I mean? I mean, if it, I don't know if this will help or not, but the majority of the show is literally her explaining everything to a group of people that's what that's how the first episode ends is she sits down and starts telling the story of her childhood and how she died the okay first time that's the majority of the show yeah that's that's cool that's fine but like the this is uh this is what happened in lost so much is like someone knows the answers and they just don't talk about it like they ask them once and then no one gives an answer and they all just carry on as if they don't actually need that answer. And it's just because the show writers want to keep the mystery going for a little while longer. Yeah, it's, it's okay. Lost is over. Speaking of, of comedy, though, I did just listen to... Uh, well, cause I, you know, I, I texted you about the uh, the Bullseye comedy special. Yeah, have you listened to the I whole did. thing? I did. listened to the whole thing. Really and good. then started like listening to all the albums. Uh-huh. I got super mad because my favorite comic on there doesn't have an album yet. And like he doesn't have anything released. Who's that? Uh, Riley Silverman. Okay, she's the uh, she's the. Have you listened to the latest episode? I listened or, to, the to the comedy special. one. Yeah, yeah. No, I don't know if it's the latest or not anymore. Um, she was the trans comedian talking about a hotel door. Yeah, that that had me rolling. I was yeah. I was listening to that on the plane coming back from North Carolina. <laughs> Uh, but she doesn't have an album. She has no release yet. Hmm. Um, that was just from Max FunCon. They recorded it. Right. Um, and so I was like, I'm going to go listen to that. And like, I, I memorized her name. I'm like, I don't have a pen. I'm going to, I can't write this down. I'm just going to remember her name. And then, uh, she was gone. Yeah. Um, so that's the only thing I've heard of hers and it makes me sad. Yeah. Uh, but I did listen to, uh, W. Kamau Bell's semi-prominent Negro. Mm-hmm. Cause I like him as a comedian anyway. Yeah. I loved him on, uh, totally biased when he was doing that and hadn't listened to his stand up really. And it was real good. Mm-hmm. It was real funny. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I've listened to a lot of stand-up comedy lately. That's what that's what I put on when I'm at work. You know, I'm like doing mindless things instead of podcasts. I'll put on a stand-up comedy album because I have Apple Music and it's got tons of stand-up. Huh? You know, I feel like that would be 
distracting in a way that podcasts aren't. Hmm. Like, I mean, like I listen to some funny podcasts that make me laugh while I'm at work, but yeah. I feel like the the density of laughter that happens in stand-up might there be there like, have been times where i have been like sitting in my chair like rocking incapable of working because yeah. it's too much yeah yeah um but listen to some really good albums um actually uh let me check my you know, recently downloaded th- this is something you've mentioned to me before yeah. and i've never i've still never taken advantage of the fact that apple music has like lots of stand-up on it yeah uh brandine posey uh opinion cave she was on the the comedy one yeah um oh baron vaughn's black existential crisis that was on that i actually listened to that first before i'd heard the the comedy episode interesting he was one talking about being allergic to dairy yeah um i listened to his album when it came out actually because uh he is one of the new cast members on the soon to be released new episodes of mystery science theater 3000 ah very nice Uh, he plays the new tom servo okay that's the robot with the bubblegum container head uh, I listened to an album that was not in the comedy episode of Bullseye, um, but was recommended by somebody else. I think it was like Rhea Butcher recommended it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm going to say the name of this because it is the name of the album, uh, but I feel a little bit bad saying it, which I think was her goal. Okay. Um, the comedian's name is Bobby Oliver, uh, and it's a it's a live comedy set, and it's pretty darn funny. Um, she was on an episode of the TV show Sex Box, which is amazing. Okay. Uh, sex box is a tv show where two people have sex in a box on stage and then come out and talk about it you don't see them having sex it's in a box is, is this is this a real thing it did exist it was like a real tv people show. actually had sex and then talked yes. about it real yes. life people yes she was one of them with her husband who's also a comedian i'm i'm stalling because i really don't want to see the name of this this album <laughs> uh is the name a, of is it a comfortable box uh, I mean, I think there's a bed in it. I don't, I don't know. She didn't uh, so describe it. So it's a it. very large box. It's a big box. Oh, okay. This isn't. There's like room a... to have sex in it. Okay. It's not like a refrigerator box or something. Okay, gotcha. Um, There'd be room to have sex in a refrigerator box. Depends on how big the refrigerator is. I mean, I'm not talking about a mini fridge. I'm talking yeah. about a refrigerator. I'm saying you could. I'm a very tall person. You could make it work. <laughs> you could make it work. That's yeah. fair. So the name of the album, <laughs> which is censored on Apple Music. Okay. Um, is Feminazi Cunt. Yeah, I wish you hadn't said it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, she she did that f- to make me uncomfortable. Yeah. Effective. It, and it worked. Um, so but, thinking about this sex box, it seems like a weird TV show. Is it British? It started out as British. She was in the American mm, version. There you go. I knew it. <laughs> ah, that explains it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't think you can just uh, show people having sex in a... Well, you don't show it. I don't think you can show a box where sex is happening within on American television. Uh, you you can, and they did. Mm. Lasted four episodes. Oh, there you go. Um, yeah, Rhea Butcher's latest album's real good. If you haven't, you still... You've got to listen to Sean White's Dead and Gone. I know I recommended it before. I haven't. You have to. Okay, I'm going to take all of these... Yeah. Album recommendations. I'm going to put them in the notes and I'm also going to make a playlist and I'm yeah. going to listen to these. Dead and Gone is is brutal and dark, but I think you will enjoy it especially because you got divorced this year. Is it regarding divorce? Uh, that's one of that's the gone half of Dead and Gone. Mm. Um the the dead half is everyone in his family has died over the last 2 years. That's a real thing. That's a real thing. That is dark. Over the course of 2 years he slowly watched all of he watched all of his family members die. And in the middle of that, he got a divorce. That uh, sounds like, you know, 
Hashtag 2016. Uh, it's it's an amazing album. <laughs> it is unbelievable. Yeah, that does that that sounds like uh, it would make for a good comedy album in a weird, yeah, twisted kind of way. It's it's real good. Okay, <laughs> I'm gonna listen to all these. Yeah, and I'm not gonna get any work done this week. <laughs> Great, because <laughs> I'm gonna spend too much time laughing. Yeah, and crying. Yeah, probably. Yeah, I, you, you'll cry at a couple of these. <laughs> But in a good way. Um, has Patton Oswalt come out with a new special um, since his wife died? No, not since his wife died. Okay. He's done a little bit of acting, but that's it. Yeah. And he's still like a publicly active person. Yes. Um, but he's also like taking care of his daughter and probably still grieving from the death of his absolutely amazing wife. Sure. That takes a long time. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, he's just like a single dad now. Yeah. And I, he's like written or done interviews about it, which mm-hmm. I've read that have been like yeah. very heartbreaking. Yeah. And, oh, yeah. And impactful. But um, if he does continue stand up, which I, I'm assuming he will. I guess. I, I don't know. I mean, Rick Moranis' wife died and then he stopped doing anything. I remember learning about that. Yeah. Um. Well, like with Pat Oswalt, like I, I'd be very curious to see if what happens when. If and when he yeah. does something new, because it's funny, I don't love his stand-up. Like I never did. Like I, yeah. I like him. Yeah, and I do think he's funny, but like his stand-up as like a whole set, mm-hmm. never, not really. I never thought yeah. it was like super great, but yeah, I'd, if he comes out with a new special, like I will watch it. Yeah, because it's the circumstances. Somebody else. Oh, um, Fat Dad is not his name, <laughs> <laughs> but that's the name of his book. His it's, dad is fat. It's Knife Dad. <laughs> I don't even know why that's funny. Um, what's his name? I can think of all the names of his albums: King Baby, uh, Beyond the Pale, um, the the Hot Pocket guy, yeah, Jim Gaffigan. Jim Gaffigan. He's got a new Netflix special that just came out. Yeah, I really want to watch that. I don't like him that much. Oh, I think he's so funny. It doesn't do it for me. That's okay. It's his comedy is the epitome of like. Uh, bland, lazy, married, straight white dude comedy who, like, is annoyed by his family. I disagree, but that's okay. That's, the that's like, the tone it struck with me. Yeah. He's like, I'm going to make jokes about, like, you know, I'm a dad and a husband. I mean, and also- to be fair, he, he works intentionally and in 100% clean. Like, that's part right. of his shtick. Yeah. He's good, just yeah. not not my not my style. I don't know some of his stuff about food is hilarious. Not the hot pockets, it's the liver plate. It's, um, it, I mean, the hot pocket bit is really good. Yeah. It's just yeah, too much exposure. Uh, I did love uh, his his joke. Your mom never made anything as good as a McDonald's French fry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know if I agree with that. Well, you're not as fat as Jim Gaffigan. <laughs> I do uh, something I learned about Jim Gaffigan over the last year or so is that his wife is his primary comedy partner. Like they write, they write all of his acts together. No way. Like that's their job is Jim Gaffigan's comedy. Interesting. Yeah. And they also co-wrote the Jim Gaffigan show, which was two season TV series they had Mm -hmm. that they intentionally like stopped because they were saying it was too hard on our family. Oh, interesting. Yeah. It was, it didn't get canceled. They're like, we're going to stop making it. Hmm. So they they write it together and he performs it. Yeah, I wonder if she ever performs. Uh, it doesn't sound like it. Not from the interviews I've heard. Interesting. Um, uh, well, because she writes in his voice. Yeah, like she writes 
I mean, she writes jokes about herself too, but it's but they're all for him to deliver. For him to deliver, and so they're all sort of focused on him and his his persona that he crafts. Yeah, and I I re- I am really into that. Like Jim Gaffigan has the like the characters or like the personas. Oh like yeah, he, yeah. He puts on the voices. And uh, some of those voices the, are and, great. You know, it's all the different competing mm-hmm. people within his own brain. Yes. Yeah. Um, the same way uh, Maria Bamford does that. Yeah, and, and what's really funny well. is I haven't gotten into Maria Bamford. Like I need, to, like I, I, like people love her. Mm-hmm. I just haven't found the bit or done the thing that clicked yet. I think she's too challenging for me. She is. She is a challenging comedian. Yeah, like she's really funny, but it's you have to be like paying so much attention. I watched the first episode of her Netflix show and then have not gone back. I I wanted to like it so badly and I just didn't. Yeah, did you watch the whole thing or just? I watched the first episode, yeah. 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 Like I was all excited because like I I have so much respect for Maria Bamford. And I was like, yeah, Maria Bamford's doing her own TV show. Like that's amazing for her. And And she apparently did a comedy special like for her parents. I watched that whole thing and it's for the premise. Like it's a good special. Yeah. But like. The premise alone makes it worth watching. Okay, I mean she, that's 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 like that that idea is amazing. She put I a, love it. She put a camera in her living room, yeah, or in her parents' living room, and they sat on the couch, and she stood in front of them with a microphone and stand performed a stand-up set. And performed a stand-up set primarily about her and her family, yeah, and like as a child, and like told jokes that make her parents look bad yeah. in a lot of cases, like to her parents directly. Yeah, with no like forewarning or rehearsal. Like that's that's amazing. Like you're watching just her parents react to the jokes about them. Yeah, it's incredible. Um, She did she did a Christmas special on her couch. Really, I saw a clip of it on YouTube. Um, But yeah, it's an entire Christmas special thing. It's shot on her couch. Um, That's kind of like uh, Todd Berry doing the crowd work tour. Did you see that? No, Louis C.K. released on his website. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I think he produced it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but Todd Berry is a comedian who does among other things, crowd work. He's really good at, at talking to people in the crowd and making up jokes spontaneously. Yeah. And he did a tour called the crowd work tour mm-hmm. where he prepared zero material and just went out and talked to the crowd. Wow. And they made it in, they took, you know, spliced a few different stops together into a uh-huh. special. That's terrifying. Yeah, and he he killed it. Like it's funny. Uh, he and he's got a very he's got a very dry like sarcastic sense of humor, mm-hmm. and uh, it plays well. But like he just passed a microphone out into the audience and started talking to people. That's so hard. Yeah. Wow. And was funny. Yeah, I mean he's been doing it for a long time. Yeah. Um, that terrifies me. Do you do you get? I don't love the term stage fright, but I guess that's what we used to describe it. Mm-hmm. Do you get that? Like, if you have to perform something, so that's that's a really interesting question because uh-huh. that's literally my job. Uh huh. Is getting up in front of a group of people and talking to them D- to deliver training and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yes, every single time it scares you. Uh, I get anxious. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, no matter no matter what it is, no matter how well prepared I am, I like get a little bit anxious and nervous beforehand. Even if it's something I've taught a hundred times. Hmm. Does it get better? 
like did it used to be worse and like you feel like you get better at it or you you get better at not feeling anxious or i get better at dealing with it like Mm. i know how to react with it and and use it yeah um interesting i certainly don't show it like you wouldn't know that i'm nervous or anxious because you're you're i mean you're very practiced yeah. At it, at oh, have you ever seen? Have you ever seen me do a training? I'm just curious. Yeah, you did some when we worked together. Okay. Well, I wasn't sure if there's anything you would have seen or. Yeah. Uh, and like that's, I mean, to be fair, I've been doing trainings in some form or fashion since I was 13. Mm-hmm. Uh, was the first time I had to get in front of a group of people and teach them something. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, it was when I was working at a leadership course with the uh, the Boy Scouts of America. Mm-hmm. And I had to teach, uh, we had three different lessons that I was, it was my job to teach to six kids at a summer camp. Uh, and we spent six months prepping me for those three like hour long trainings. Wow. Along with other things, like the whole staff did a six month training. Uh-huh. Like once, a, uh, once a month we get together for a day and then we went on three camping trips before the actual full camp to do more track training and practice and all that sort of stuff. So I've been doing that for a very long time. Yeah. Not to mention my theater background and the fact that I've been on stage a number of times. I get less nervous if I'm performing like a character on stage than I do if I'm doing like a training. Because you're... If I'm performing a character on stage, like I'm, there's a script, there's a structure. Um, if I'm doing a training, typically it's just me. Right. Do you... Do you feel like if you have to... So like you go to perform a character in a drama and mm-hmm. like you're putting on the persona of entirely of an entirely different person mm-hmm. if you i'm i'm playing pretend yeah can you do you do that at all when you deliver a training because like you're in you're in the character of yourself but yeah like, do you put on a a character in any sense a lot less than i used to i have done that in the past like when i was student teaching i played the role of mr saunders and i had sort of an idea of who that was hmm. uh but I don't really do that when I'm training. Like I, I kind of have a training version of me, like the way I talk or, uh, but the goal is to be me. Yeah. Uh, and to be authentically me in those sort of moments. And so, you know, that's making dumb jokes. That's, uh, and and I, and I'll, if I'm with a new group of people, I'll usually make a dumb joke and like gauge the reaction and go, sorry, they don't get better. (laughs) (laughs) And that gets a reaction and then they laugh and they go, okay, cool. But, uh, it's, you know, it's always a bit of a high wire act because I don't have a team or a, you know, not that I don't have a plan, but right. In a training environment, I don't know what my the other half of the training, which is the audience and the trainees and what they're experiencing, I don't know what they're going to do. Right. So I have to be very reactive and prepared. Right. But, and I, you know, there's a lot of tips and tricks into like guiding people to the right answers and how to con like saying things in certain ways to cause questions to be asked. Right. That's that's my old favorite trick is you know you say something. And then say something else and, and related to that. And you, if you do it right, you can say get someone to say, well, what about this? Yeah. Like uh, guarantee a question will be asked. Yeah. yeah. And and there's not, you know, and, and that's that comes with practice and training and, you know, not necessarily getting up in front of a, you know, mirror and rehearsing what I'm going to say. Right. But knowing the material backwards and forwards, knowing the structure and knowing how to steer things around. Mm-hmm. So that, you know, if, if topic, you know, I'm going to teach topic A, topic B, topic C, 
and I get to topic A and we're having a discussion about it and we end up talking about topic C, I can roll with that and continue talking about topic C until I can segue back to B uh-huh. without making it feel like oh, we're jumping around or missing things. Hmm. Because they don't know what the order is supposed to be necessarily. And even if I tell them up front, like, hey, we're going to talk about this, this, and this in this order. If the group or trainee wants to talk about it in a different order or causes to be talked about in a different order, my teaching philosophy says go with that rather than force them to stick to a rigid plan. Right. React and respond rather than railroad. And like in a situation where you're a trainer, you're in complete control. Yes and no. Kind of, like other people are participating, but you're you're the decider. You get to decide if a conversation goes one way or the other or stops or whatever. Yeah. You, yes, you can do it that way. I don't want to do it that way. Like I don't <clears throat> want to be the dictator of a classroom, but the, but there should be comfort in knowing that you, the power is in your hands to, to make it what you want to. Yeah. Right? There's a certain amount of authority there. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. There's authority. Um, but it's funny because that's actually very against like my root teaching philosophies. Okay. Um, which are that really education should be learning centered, not or learner centered, not teacher centered. Uh huh. And as long as like I have that authority and say, we're going to do this now, it's centered on me. Um, and so I do a lot of things to turn that away. Not all the time. Now, sometimes you got to do it because I'm on a budget and I've got this much time and right. my boss says, teach everyone how to do this. And I say, okay. Right. But in the idealized learning situation, like I'm a guide, but I am not pushing them or I am not forcing anyone to go and answer. Like they are coming to answers and solutions because they want to. Mm-hmm. And that's very, very difficult to do. Like there's, there's whole schools of like things like the pedagogy of the oppressed is a very um, well-known school of thought in this area from mm-hmm. um Freire, Paolo Freire. Paolo Freire? Yeah. That's a good name. It is a good name. Um which was then adopted into the theater of the oppressed by Augusto Boal. Um and I actually use strategies that Boal uses for theater of the oppressed in my classrooms. Hmm. Um most people don't wouldn't know that in my, my classroom, but there's a lot of things I do. I have um, no idea what that is. That's okay. There's a there's a very <laughs> common um position in his in a lot of his sort of work known as the joker um which you like is also like a referee or a director mm-hmm. but is intentionally like to the side and plays more than um a dictator and allows other people to make decisions and guide the conversations hmm. now that being said like i did a training in this realm uh, this week and sent out my training or survey response and they're like this is dumb i already knew all this stuff <laughs> um with some of the responses and i'm like well yeah but that's the point <laughs> <laughs> yes i didn't teach you something because i you knew how to do it and my job was to make sure that you knew you knew how to do it mm. uh, that's the socratic method is pulling the answers from within interesting I do think about these things a lot. Yeah, you do. It's your job. And it's the it thing, is my job. And it's like the thing it's you something care about. I care about. Yeah. Um. Do you consider this, like this podcast, like a performance at all? Like, if do you 
have you ever felt nervous to be in front of a microphone and talking into something that's recording that'll get released? Weirdly, no. Yeah. So I just I just thought of this like a minute ago while you were talking. Like, yeah, I can get stage fright. I yeah. don't have the opportunity. I don't. You don't do things on stage. <laughs> I don't do things uh, in front of people very much. Yeah. Uh, but when I do, like it, I I can feel nervous about it. Mm-hmm. But then I realize, like, this is the closest thing I get to like performing anything yeah. on a regular basis. Like, I mean, I'm sitting in front of a microphone and I'm talking, mm-hmm. and it gets released to people. Yes. But I've never felt anxious about it at all. Well, that's good. I'm glad to hear it. <laughs> yeah. But like, if I'm at work and I need to, you know, and it, even like talk to a group <laughs> talk to a group of people like i don't enjoy doing it, it it's never debilitating like it's, it's never yeah. all that bad i don't suffer from uh any truly difficult anxiety in any mm-hmm. way but um i always feel unprepared yeah ha <laughs> ding um on brand <clears throat> i wish i didn't say that uh like i, I remember uh this time last year i for a work thing, I did like give a presentation to a large group of people mm-hmm. and I like felt like I needed to spend all this time preparing for this like four minute thing yeah. and like really made sure I had like everything nailed down and I was like fretting about it for a long time beforehand. And then as soon as I had to do it, it just like, you know, the classic example, like it all disappears and then it's just fine yeah. while you're doing it. Mm-hmm. But the run up to it, like it, it's tough. Yeah, the anxiety's rough. It's weird. Hmm. Yeah, and it, I think it's funny because I recorded an episode of Bad Philosophy a few uh, week or so ago uh, that will not go to air because the audio got corrupted. I'm super mad about it, but it's. I mean, I'm not super mad about it because it was, but I had a great conversation with Stephen. Wow, that's. Uh, I didn't know you did a new one. And yeah, that sucks. That it, was our, it was our New Year's. It was our New Year's episode. We always do a New Year's episode. It's tradition. Nice. Uh, it was a really good episode, and it will never see the light of day because it's gone. Ugh. Uh, I felt real bad about it. Hey, it's like that time I forgot to turn on my microphone. It was, except we didn't have anything. <laughs> that sucks. Uh, but um, we were talking about it in there as well, and it's going to remind me of it, is uh, weirdly this makes me, like this is my social interaction for the week. Like this mm-hmm. is... this is Like our, us recording? Yes. Yeah. Uh, and because I view it from that lens rather than from like a product that comes out of it instead. Right. Uh, it doesn't affect me. I don't have a goal. I don't have, um, you know, aspirations or agendas. Right. You could say I have no agenda. And I think that really helps with the experience because, uh, particularly with this podcast, you know, it started with, you know, us having a conversation uh-huh. and we're just continuing that conversation. Like that hasn't changed right i mean you've you've been in this room when we turn off the microphones and continue talking to each other yeah sometimes like we we it's like 10 o'clock at night and we have to go to sleep and we turn off the microphones and then it takes 30 minutes for like kevin to to leave to leave my apartment because we can't stop talking yeah um yeah this is primarily just us hanging out yeah and we just happen to put microphones in front of us yes so it's a very it's a very different thing than like you're getting in front of a group of people who you have a responsibility mm-hmm. to train and produce learning outcomes and yes. all that stuff. So I think I think that helps. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I but we would probably be having these conversations with or without a microphone, right? So yeah, yeah. Th- this could this yeah. could have been if we both weren't into podcasts. Like yeah. we would just 
hang out and have, grab a beer. Have and, beers and hang out every, yeah. every week or so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it's kind of weird in that respect. Oh, yeah, we'll say this is my social interaction. Like, I don't socialize at work. Really? I don't, I don't have friends at work right now. Hmm. Um, and I, I think that's just me. Like, I'm bad at socializing. Yeah. Um, and my job doesn't have a lot of opportunity for it. Like, even if I'm, like, teaching a group, there is a there is a power imbalance there. Right. Um, so it's difficult to have a sort of conversation. But every now and then I will. But most times, like, and don't, this is not a pity party. Yeah. Like, I eat lunch by myself. I eat breakfast by myself. Like, I browse Twitter and things like that. Mm-hmm. So I'm not talking to a lot of people a lot throughout the day. And being able to come over to Jesse's and have a four-hour conversation uh, fills up my introvert bar and goes, ding, okay, we're good for another week or two. Right. Uh, in the same way that like I use gaming for social stuff, like when I go play games on Sunday nights, that's that's my social interaction for the week. Okay, good. Right. I've, I've accomplished that. I can move on. Um, that's interesting. Do you, at, at work, do you work with a team of peers or equals? Or are you the I'm one? the entire training team. You're the one guy who does your thing. Yeah. That's which is which is a little bit tough sometimes. Yeah, I can see that because like, I'm I'm also the one person who does my thing. Yeah, I'm, there's only one of me at at my store, but mm-hmm. um, I'm constantly surrounded and bombarded with people. Yes, like it's a very your, different... your job involves a lot of continuous interaction, right? And so, and even though almost all of my interaction with people at work is just business related. Yeah. Like I'm just dealing with their problems and helping them and, you know, and talk, just talking with them about work related things like that feels like enough socializing <laughs> too. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it's like I come, I come home from an eight, from an eight hour day and I've just spent the whole oh, day absolutely. talking to people and I'm not customer facing. Yeah. Like it was worse when I spent all day talking, talking to, to customers because yeah. that's genuine socializing and yes that, and that talking about like putting on an act in the character yes. like oh absolutely there's a lot of and i never felt uh anxiety about it yeah um even though it's a kind of performance but mm-hmm. it's exhausting it is i, I do not <clears throat> come home exhausted anymore it's fantastic yeah like in my current role i come home exhausted but um at least i'm not acting i'm yeah. very much just myself yeah even though i'm constantly interacting with people um yeah, but then, but then doing this n- never feels like a. This feels like less of a performance than even just being at work and talking with my coworkers all day. Yeah. Um, even though this technically is a type of performance, it is. It's it's in that space. Yeah. But we're not as funny as the McElroys. Oh God, I wish. Do you watch uh, Carboys? No, I haven't seen. Carboys you should check yet. out Carboys. It's not. It's not Monster Factory. Monster Factory is probably the best thing they're doing right now. Yeah. Well, and, and only Griffin is a part of Carboys. It's Griffin and somebody else. Oh, okay. Not a McElroy. But they're they're using, they're playing around in this one game that's called uh, BeamNG.Drive. Hmm. And it's a car simulator. <laughs> okay. Where, like, you are a car or you are a driver? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>